From the studios of One Jack's Productions, this is The Revealing, a ministry of One Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, with your hosts, Senior Pastor Frank Salvaggio, Associate Pastor Robert Engel, and Praise Leader Chris Wing. All right, well, welcome back once again to The Revealing. It's great to be with everybody here again. As always, we are uh, blessed to be here and uh I am with uh, Pastor Robert Engel. Pastor, how are you doing? Doing well, thank you. Awesome. So we've been discussing these uh, seven New Testament mysteries, and uh, today we're going to be wrapping them up finally. So if you're just joining us for the first time, you're like, what do you mean we've been talking about these New Testament mysteries? You can go back and listen to all of our uh, messages in this series as we are wrapping it up now. We're going to be wrapping it up with a a big one here, and it's called the... uh, Mystery of Babylon or Babylon the Great. So we've really uh, been enjoying these discussions. I've been talking about a lot of really important things. And uh, the the whole concept behind these particular seven New Testament mysteries is the fact that we as faithful stewards are going to be held accountable to them. Mm -hmm. So as we've been laying all this out, and I know it's a lot of information for all those who've been listening, just remember at the back of your head that it's important for us to, to, to maintain uh, our, our knowledge of these and, and to know these these mysteries because we are, as faithful stewards, going to be held accountable for them. And, and also know that as we've been digging through these, knowing these mysteries is going to help us to be able to identify all the false heresies and doctrines that, are, that, that come from them. Yeah. So Yeah, and Chris, what you're referencing there I think is really important. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, mm-hmm. verses 1 and 2, where we are told, as the ministers of Christ stewards of the mysteries of God, mm-hmm. it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And, and I think that's just a great way to to um, open up this last episode on the mysteries because it's how we opened up the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, why is this important? Um, well, God says it's important. Uh, we are stewards of these, and it is and will be required that we be found faithful. Uh, at the judgment seat of Christ, um, because Second Corinthians chapter five and verse eleven uh, tells us, or nine through eleven, uh, tell us that we have the potential of, of knowing the terror of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and the verse ten, the context there is the judgment seat of Christ, because he says, "For we we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ." And so, having the the um, prospect of knowing the terror of the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ as it relates to our stewardship of these mysteries um, really ought to motivate us to not just know them, to file them up there, because we have to know them, uh, but to be faithful with them. Absolutely. Um, and, and the essential question, I think, that that we really just started this, this endeavor with was how can we be found faithful to the mysteries of Christ in the event, the judgment seat of Christ, that is the um, consummate event for us in our eternal life as Christians, how can we be found faithful um, if we don't even know what they are, the mysteries, or that they even exist? And so just from a practical application, um, you know, let that be why we're doing this, you know, because we want to be found faithful um, for His glory and um, he's called us to be faithful stewards. He has put us in charge of these, so to speak, as custodians. Sure. And uh, we want to uh, be found faithful when he calls us into account. Absolutely. And the key behind all of that is that it's not just about knowing these. There's a reason why, because that accounting is going to come to fruition at the judgment seat of Christ, and that's going to determine how our judgment's going to go. So it's very important that we yeah. know these mysteries, that we uh, not more than just know them, but we're able to handle them properly and identify them and, uh, you know, teach them. And it's all a part of that. And yeah. today we're wrapping it all up with this 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 big one called the, the mystery of Babylon or Babylon the Great. And there's a lot of information in this particular mystery, uh, and a lot that we just won't be able to go into in, in, in the episode of this podcast. Um, so hopefully today what we do talk about is enough to not bog you down with details and historical relevance and all that kind of stuff, because there's a lot of that. But to get you all, the listeners, to, as we've said in previous podcasts, to be the Bereans and to study these things out, to get your your your, your thinking going, and you can just study these deeper for yourself, because... This one plays a big role, historically speaking. 
Right. It digs way back and it filters all the way through history to where we're at now. And so a lot of heavy stuff may be called out here in this particular podcast. So just know ahead of time, this preface this ahead of time. We, again, are not calling out any particular group of people uh, in a means of, of, of hating on anyone when we talk about some of the things that we might talk about here. But it's, it's identifying this mystery and identifying uh, false doctrines that have permeated throughout history. So trying to be faithful to it. We got to be faithful. And again, we are called the revealing. So we're going to reveal the deep things here. We, we don't shy away from any of that. We never have. We never will. So if you're listening in for the first time now, just be warned, if you will, <laughs> that we <laughs> dig deep. And if you've been a, a listener from the beginning, we're, we're definitely glad to that you are. But you uh, you pretty much already know how we do this. So let's dig into it. This particular mystery, this last mystery, the seventh New Testament mystery is called the mystery of Babylon. And so what I want to do is hand this now over to uh, Pastor Robert to kind of set the whole thing up and read uh, the verse that, that does that. And we can start digging into it. Revelation seventeen five, And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and abominations of the earth. Right, so right there we have this mystery identified, and it's in the book of Revelation. So we know that this particular mystery has a play or a role in the end-time events or eschatological events uh, of history. But before we dig into that, we've got to do ourselves a favor and go all the way back to the beginning and find out where this this mystery has its roots. What what is Babylon, and and what you know, how do we know about this thing of Babylon? Uh, because this particular mystery is important. Is is behind all the world's false religions, and it's filtered all the way down through. So where does it start? Well, it starts back in Genesis chapter ten, mm-hmm. where we have this thing that we've called the Tower of Babel. So if you go back to Genesis chapter ten, if you're listening and you got your Bibles with you, and I hope you do. You can open up to Genesis 10, and I'm just going to read a few verses um, and, and kind of refer- or pull out a couple other ones from Genesis 11, and, and we'll start to kind of just build the foundation, if you will, for this mystery. So when you go back to Genesis chapter 10, and, and we like to call Genesis chapter 10 like the table of nations because we can trace all of the human roots back to one particular group of people. And at this time in Genesis chapter 10, that's what was going on in the, in the world, is we had every, everybody was speaking the same language. We had everybody together in the earth. And so we got, we got Genesis 10, 8, 9, and 10 says this, and Cush begat Nimrod. Now, keep that name Nimrod. It's going to come up a lot in this particular, this mystery. Keep that name uh, in your minds there. So we're starting with this guy, Nimrod, that was, that was begat by Cush, and he began to be a mighty man, a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech and Akkad and Kalneh in the land of Shinar. So right there we, we are identifying this place of Babel. It is a kingdom. It is the kingdom that was began by Nimrod. Nimrod is a type of the Antichrist in the Old Testament, and if you're with us in our last episode, we, we dug into this mystery of iniquity in the Antichrist. So he is a picture of the Antichrist in the Old Testament. He was the one who started Babylon and headed up the building of that tower to heaven that we call the Tower of Babylon during the time when the world all spoke that one language, which you find in the Genesis 11.1. 1. And Chris, it's interesting here in Genesis 10, uh, you called it the Table of Nations, as we often do. So there's this list of nations, um, this genealogy, mm-hmm. so to speak, that's here as well. And um, God very strategically interrupts that genealogy and gives us a little commentary on this one individual, mm-hmm. Nimrod. Um, you, you notice he doesn't really do that for the others that are listed here. Um, so that alone ought to grab our attention uh, because there's something that God wants to tell us about this individual named Mm -hmm. Nimrod and just wanted to to draw that out because a lot of times we can read through uh, genealogies or lists or names or places in the Bible, and because we find ourselves only being able to pronounce half of them, (laughs) we kind of just speed read them and skim through them, but we're missing a lot when we do that. And so just wanted to draw that out there because the Lord kind of puts a small timeout interrupts the list, the genealogy, gives us some commentary, um, and we got to do something with that. Mm, absolutely. 
So in Genesis 11:4 he says and they said go to go to let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make us a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now remember that was what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to spread out all over the earth. They weren't supposed to stay, you know, so after the flood Noah was given a commission much like Adam and Eve were to be fruitful, multiply and replenish the earth, but they were supposed to do that and spread across the the, the world, the earth and they didn't. They all stayed together, so they multiplied greatly, and all stayed in one place, and that's where we build up to the where we are now in Genesis uh, ten and eleven. And, so th- and that being in disobedience, oh, absolutely. Uh, and, and and it's very interesting there in verse four, you see this pronoun that that's used um, repetitively. Uh, Let us mm-hmm. build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach into heaven, and let us mm-hmm. make us a name, lest we. And the focus there is all about me, us, we. That that's pride, that's mm-hmm. self. Yep. So just very interesting. Where else do we see pride being the downfall of someone? Well, that's Lucifer, of course, Isaiah fourteen. Absolutely. So what you have here are the roots to the beginning of, if I could say it like this, religion, because mm-hmm. that's what religion really religion in a nutshell is. It's a workspace thing, and that's what they were trying to do. Is they were trying to work their way to heaven by building a tower yes. to reach it by their own means, and that's the us and we, and let us do this, because if we don't, we'll be scattered upon the hooks, which is what they were supposed to do. And so it's all about me, it's all about us and, and, and self and, 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 and works, personal works. And so what happens is God's like, well, I can't have that happening. So he comes down and he confounds the languages, making it so that they couldn't communicate anymore, and then they had to spread out all over the earth, because they, c- they had to stop what they were doing. They couldn't, uh, couldn't communicate with one another anymore. And so Genesis 11:9 tells us therefore is the name of it called Babel because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad up upon the face of all the earth. So all throughout history Satan has been behind all the false religious systems of the world. This is where it all began under Nimrod who is a picture of the antichrist starts this he's he's the head of this one world religion, one world economy and one world government during the time of uh, Babel, which was the beginning of his kingdom, and that's where the roots of all of this happen. And, <coughs> and we know that because it says there in Genesis 11 um, that they built a city and a tower. A city and a so tower. there's that tower, that, that religious structure, mm-hmm. if you will, and then that city, uh, that uh, governmental aspect. Exactly, yep. And all throughout history, that that all permeated through the pagan religious systems of the world. And Satan's done a masterful job of deceiving mankind into following, as Revelation 17 calls it. Now, again, calling it out as God calls it, the great whore. Mm -hmm. That's what he calls it, this religious, false religious system that started back here in Babylon is referenced as the great whore in Revelation chapter 17, who has been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So there's a whole lot of stuff. So by the time we get all the way to Revelation, he's referring back to everything that happened in Genesis. Okay, because the God is cyclical in his timeline f- and right. not linear like we are. Mm-hmm. Where we were is where we're going to end up going back to again. And and so Ecclesiastes three fifteen. That's Ecclesiastes three fifteen. And so so what what do you think about that, uh, Pastor? Yeah, well, it's as we've talked about in previous episodes. It's um, what is the benefit of us knowing this? Like, why is this important? Um, either things that are going to come. Yeah, in the future during the tribulation when the church isn't here, or things that happened so long ago. Well, it's not just history or, or prophecy in the in the very distant future. Uh, there are very strong um, practical ramifications and applications uh, for us in the New Testament church. This mystery Babylon. Um, number one, just be. Just for the reason that that God says it is. Again, we are called to be faithful stewards of these. Uh, every word uh, is for a purpose in His book. And it has a purpose and it's on purpose. And so, if He, if every word of God is pure, uh, if the Lord's of the Word are pure words, um, if this book is is uh, quicker than and, and sharper than any two edged sword, then um, there's nothing that is just to take up space. There are no just dead words there. So. Uh, anything the Lord has for us in His Word, uh, we ought to desire that as well. Um, and not only that, but 
really that principle we we brought to light, Ecclesiastes three fifteen. Um, we need to know that which has been shall be, uh, because if we don't, we will fall prey to the very things that we're talking about. I mean, there are honestly well-meaning um, people that that really just want to love the Lord, uh, really just want to know the Bible, um, that are caught up in this mystery Babylon it's system um, that we, again, we've said this before, we don't hate anyone involved in that, but we also want to... to we, we call things out, and um, those that, that are leading or, or teaching these things, um, Scripture has some strong words for you, but but then there are those that I honestly believe are victims of, of this system. Um, and, and so we're setting our sights, we're, set, we're putting the crosshairs on, on Satan and on that system because uh, that's, that's where it's coming from. And, and by the grace of God um, and by the mind of Christ, we don't have to fall prey to those things. Um, so just a, a few thoughts there on why this is critical for us today. Mm-hmm. Chris, as you said earlier, we can get into a lot of the, the, the history of some of this. Um, and so I, I want to kind of talk a little bit about it just to unpack this because God does give us kind of kind of a trail here that we can follow uh, with Mystery Babylon. Um, but, but I don't want to just get so bogged down that, we raise more questions than, than we settle. Um, so uh, walk us through um, this uh, th- this thing with Nimrod and Babel and kind of what how it plays out um, just from a maybe a bird's eye view or a, a uh, just kind of a few bullet points here and there that we can kind of give our listeners to to maybe a little wrap their wrap that their heads around just a little bit G- give a little snapshot of history maybe if possible, <laughs> if possible. i know i know it's hard because we there's a lot here Th- there is a lot here um so again this this thing of, of, of nimrod is where it all started um just a quick genealogy to set this up is that ham was the son of noah ham is the father of cush cush is the one who begat nimrod right we just read that he founded babel or babylon in the land of shinar Ham was the father of Canaan. Canaan was cursed by Noah and all, uh, subsequently all of Ham's descendants and all of the pagan religions mm-hmm. that came down through that. So there's some things historically that are attributed to, to Nimrod. And, and that's why it's so important because, again, I said it, all throughout history, it's going to reveal itself um, all the way up to where we are today. So this whole thing of Nimrod, and uh, you're going to he- hear another name called uh, Semiramis and Tammuz. These are... Uh, pagan gods that have been worshipped all throughout history that have all have their roots back at, to Nimrod and Babylon. So, quick snapshot, just bullet points, if you will, here. Things that you can log away and start to dig into deeper on your own time here. So, Nimrod is attributed to uh, sun worship. You see that all throughout pagan history, especially in, in, in religions like um, Egypt. They worship the sun. Yeah. Okay. So, he's attributed to the, worsh- the worship of the sun and the sun gods. And so his kingdom, of course, was Babel. Um, his wife's name was Semiramis, who, worship, who was worshipped as the queen of heaven. And you see that mentioned in scripture, in Jeremiah, in several places. And, and so just so you know, this is, this is scriptural. Um, and they were making offerings and burning incense to her. Mm-hmm. Um, she was ta- uh, the wife of, of Nimrod, and, um, who brought all the world under that one system of government, economy, and religion, and one language, and built that tower. And they had a son named Tammuz. So maybe some of these names are, are jumping out and is familiar, historically speaking, and they should. But just know that they all root, they all stem back to to Nimrod and Babylon. Tammuz was the the son of Nimrod and Semiramis. Um, you see Tammuz mentioned in Ezekiel eight, um, also associated with sun worship, the worship of the sun, in, in Ezekiel eight as well, in verse sixteen. Tammuz was born, oddly enough, on December twenty fifth. You may wonder, hmm, hmm. what is that parallel to? Yeah. Um, Tammuz was thought to have died during the winter solstice and was memorialized by burning a log in a fireplace. This was the, the Chaldean word for infant is Yule. And this was the origin of what we would call the Yule log. So yeah. start thinking about these things all throughout history and, and how we celebrate even today some of these things during what we call Christmas a time. And they actually have their roots in Babylonian pagan religions. Now, I'm not saying that makes us 
pagan when we celebrate these things, no. but this is where the roots come from. Know the connection. We have to know these connections. Um, and so they would celebrate his, uh, memorialize to that his birth of Tammuz with that burning that lo- Yule log in the fire. That's where that comes from. And then the next day, they would uh, replace that log with a trimmed tree. And there's your Christmas tree whole thing again. And that's mentioned in Jeremiah chapter 10. So right. start putting little pieces of the puzzle together here. This is, like I said, it's a quick snapshot of history, the Babylonian religious system and how it infiltrates all of the world's religions. Tammuz dies shortly after his birth and is said to have resurrected from the dead. The celebration of Tammuz, so-called resurrection, is celebrated in the spring, an event called Ishtar, or... Easter. Easter. Also sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. Which involves this golden egg of Ashtaroth, which is Semiramis. It was associated to Semiramis, and is commemorated with a fertility rites of the springtime. Ishtar celebrations would include rabbits and colored eggs and a sunrise service. You're hoping to be putting all this stuff together. And just as the Babylonians had a holy mother and child, that would be Semiramis and Tammuz, that gets translated to Mary becomes the holy mother and Jesus the holy child. So you see all of this continuing throughout history in the world's religious systems, all stemming back to Babylon. And And so so we're not saying that Mary didn't have no. the child, like right. so. So that yes, but the the worship mm-hmm. of that and the the deification mm-hmm. uh, of that that mother, um, that's what we're seeing the transition in our modern day with this this mystery Babylon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, I, I would say to you, and I don't know what you would say about this, Pastor, but I would say all of that stemming back to Nimrod. And the uh, all the pagan religions and everything, I, I would say that that would be Satan's attempt to another one of his ways of attacking the seed of Genesis three fifteen, because that's what he was hell bent, if you will, on doing. And as he did that in Genesis chapter six with the fallen angels and the Nephilim and everything, he continues to do that all throughout history. And so he perverts. He has a, he's the counterfeiter. Mm-hmm. And so you know, as some of the points that we're making here, he counterfeits the things of God. And he does that through the false religious systems all throughout history. I mean, you've got seven major empires, if you will, or, or, or world you know, religions and governments throughout history that have dominated that all have their roots back to Babylon. Right. And all these empires uh, have their own government, their own economy, and their own religion. So you've got, starting with Egypt, right? We talked about Egypt and the sun worship and all that. That still goes back to, ni- to Nimrod. Mm-hmm. Then you have Assyria. You have Babylon itself under Nebuchadnezzar. Mm-hmm. Then Media Persia and Greece and ultimately Rome, mm. which will have a, pl- a, a role to play again in, in the book of Revelation. Being the seventh one. Being the seventh yeah. one. And all these are stem back to Nimrod and that Babylonian religion. They're all these pagan religious systems that Satan has used all throughout history. And ultimately, it, it, it does come back to, to Rome, where we are today. Yeah, and, and that's where I want to continue this conversation, and I think that's a good segue, because when you look back at Revelation 17.5, where John writes about mystery, Babylon the Great, um, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth— the first thing we notice about the mystery of iniquity, it's it's not even an it. It's a woman. Mm. Okay, so, so that's She's personified. Something right. There's something there. It's a she, it's a woman. And when it just so happens that when Jesus speaks through John to the seven churches in Revelation two and three, he also mentions a woman. Um we we see it first uh in to the the letter to the church of Pergamus. In Revelation two fourteen, he doesn't call it a woman yet. It's the doctrine of Balaam, but by seeing what he says about this doctrine, we can compare it to what he says um, to the church of Thyatira. So, just real quick, um, and it'll be a lot easier if you jot these verses down or you uh, have your Bible in front of you. But in Revelation two fourteen, uh, Jesus says, "I have a few things against thee." Again, speaking to the church uh, in in Pergamus. Um, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, 
Watch, to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. And then to the church in Thyatira, just six verses later in uh, verse 20, he says, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to, again, commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. So the very thing that the woman Jezebel does, Jesus identifies as the very same thing as the doctrine of Balaam, right? And so to learn about the doctrine of Balaam, we we can go to Numbers 22 through 25. Um, our, our time does not allow for us to do that. Uh, however, uh, we can um, go somewhere else um, within our time here to, 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 to find out what Jesus says um, about this this woman Jezebel, um, because that is the reality and essence of mystery Babylon, and, and we uh, we see this in, in the book of Judges, <clears throat> chapter seventeen. And when you're reading along uh, in Judges seventeen, you find really uh, an incredible picture of a false religious system. Uh, we're not going to read these, this uh, word this passage word for word for time's sake, uh, but Judges seventeen. Um, We'll reference a few of them, but you you find uh, robed priests there in seventeen five. Uh, the, the Bible calls it an ephod, which is a priestly garment. There in Judges seventeen five, Micah he, he makes a house of gods. Uh, he makes an ephod, um, and he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. Uh, and not only was he called a priest who wore a robe. But in verse 10, Micah said uh, to him, Dwell with me and be unto me a father. And so it's a road priest called Father. And not only that, but they used idols, we see back in verses 4 and 5, that would aid them in their worship in their house of gods. Uh, Verse 4, a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. Verse 5 calls it in house of gods. And so you take that, and then you flip over to chapter 18, where the tribe of Dan convinces Micah's own personal priest, remember, whom he called father, in verse 10 of Judges 17. The tribe of Dan convinces Micah's personal priest to leave with them to the be the priest of their entire tribe, uh, Judges 18, 19. This, of course, was very appealing to... Uh, the priest, because this was kind of a promotion, so to speak, and he was so excited about it. He stole Micah's ephod, that priestly garment, uh, the teraphim, the household idol, the graven images, and all that's in Judges 18.20, and so he could perform his priestly duties for the tribe of Dan. And so what we see going on here is one of the 12 tribes of Israel, God's people, taking on for themselves this this false system, this false worship. Uh, and once the tribe of Dan gets themselves settled into the land of the Zidonians, uh, that's where Judges 18 says that they went. Um, God tells us a little more about that, and picking up in 1 Kings chapter 16, where the tribe of Dan is here in Zidon, um, which is the center of Baal worship. Okay, uh, And the tribe of Dan is mixed up with the heathen. First uh, Kings chapter sixteen verses 20, twenty nine through thirty um, tell us that um, uh, Asa king of Judah began Ahab uh, the son of Omri to reign over Israel. Verse thirty says Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. Uh, so evil. Verse thirty one there in First Kings sixteen says that he took to wife Jezebel. Remember that from Revelation chapter 2. He took to his to wife Jezebel, um, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians. And if you don't know what Jezebel, what the, the Hebrew name Jezebel means, it means Baal exalts, mm-hmm. or Baal is husband to. So she had her physical husband, Ahab, but in her heart she was married to Baal. And that really is the essence of mystery Babylon. Um, and also her, her father, Ethbaal, it means with mm-hmm. Baal. 
um, her dad being the king of the Zidonians, where the tribe of Dan settled. And so you just look at the power that Jezebel had over her husband. Uh, verse 31 says that he went and served and worshipped Baal. First Kings, uh, chapter 21, verse 25, says that Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. Mm-hmm. And that's the way that Revelation 2.20 describes Jezebel as seducing, as she seduced the church. Uh, she stirred up to worship Baal. She seduced him to worship, uh, which, what we saw in Judges 17 and 18. And that was the influence of this satanic woman on her husband. Um, it spread to the, the whole tribe of Dan, and not just to the tribe of Dan, but virtually the entire northern kingdom of Israel. And how these false prophets got their sustenance, how did they profit, basically? Uh, P-R-O-F-I-T, how were they sustained? First Kings 18, 19, they ate at Jezebel's table. So notice how in this system of false religion and false worship, there's always a connection to rulers, to kings, and to queens. And in Revelation 17, and again, I, if this has really bogged you down, I apologize for that, but I wanted to just make this connection because Revelation 17 tells us something about that, Revelation 17 being where we see um, Mystery of Babylon. And so I wanted to go all the way back there so we could see how Revelation 2.14 and 2.20 call out this woman Jezebel. And this woman, or I should say a woman in the Bible, when used uh, in reference, it's often used in reference to religion, is a picture of a false organized religion. Um, Proverbs talks a lot about that. Uh, but Revelation chapter 17, John sees a woman sitting on a scarlet-colored beast. And in Revelation 13, 1 through 4, we know that the beast is who? The Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not only that, but the woman is a great whore, Revelation 17, 1. The woman is mystery, Babylon the Great, 17, 5. Chris, you talked about Babylon and Babel. Uh, verse 5 also says the woman is the mother of harlots. Uh, Genesis 10 and 11 teach us that she is the woman of the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Proverbs calls her a strange woman. Uh, Revelation 2.9 calls her the synagogue of Satan. Uh, Revelation 2.20 specifically calls her out as that woman, Jezebel. And so there are some very clear and present indicators um, that we can, by comparing Scripture, see through history of, of what Satan has done in, in masquerading um, under the guise of the, this this false system. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at Revelation chapter uh, 17 in more detail, we can see who this woman exactly is. Chris, could you uh, read uh, verse 4 there, please, um, about what what she is arrayed in? Okay. Revelation chapter 17 and verse 4 says, And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones, and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. So this woman, Jezebel, is clothed in purple and scarlet. And she is holding in her hand a golden a golden cup. Um, maybe we could also call it a golden chalice. Hmm. And... Revelation 17.5 calls her mystery Babylon, as we said. Uh, Verse 18, uh, the woman is that great city, verse 18 says. Again, clear and present indicators. The woman is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Well, what city is that? Verse 9 says, again, we're in Revelation 17, verse 9 says it is a city of seven mountains or hills. Chris, do you have uh, verse 9 for us? Revelation 17, 9. Mm-hmm. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Okay. Um, so, Chris, I know neither one of us are PhDs. You <laughs> know, we're, I'm not. We're not super, super smart guys. You more <laughs> than me, you are. Oh, but no. w- 
what what kind of connections can we can we make from there? And we're not deducing or assuming or inferring anything. God calls these things out. And when you look at specifically the Roman Catholic Church, the the Catholic Encyclopedia itself validates the gold and the gems mm-hmm. and the purple and the scarlet and the golden cup. The whole cardinal sea of cardinals, they're always decked in, in red robes and, and you know, scarlet right there. Yeah. Uh what what is the city on seven hills? Uh, I mean, it, the Catholic Encyclopedia itself very clearly calls out Rome as the city of seven hills that the entire area of Vatican State proper, as it's known. And again, it's not a popular thing to say, but it is something that, that God is calling out that this universal church, quote unquote, this universal Christianity uh, that um, has claimed um, over a billion people um, in, in its influence um, is none other, unfortunately, than Mystery Babylon. Mm-hmm. Um, the In the Old Testament, Satan used a literal woman to bring this, this Baalism, this doctrine of Baal, to pervert the worship of God in Israel. And today in the church age, Satan uses the figurative woman, Jezebel, to bring in Roman Catholicism to pervert the true worship of God in Christianity. And that may cause some people to rise up in arms, but um, that is not said from a spirit of uh, criticism or, or anger um, against people or anything like that. That is said from a place of just simply stating the facts historically. Yeah, it's relevant. It, it, it is uh, the the very the the writings themselves of the Roman Catholic Church validate what we're saying here. One hundred percent. And so it's the exact same system that we see going on all the way back from what you talked about in Genesis 10 all the way through today and into that tribulation period. And, and, and Satan has always found a way, and this is the scary part. This is why this matters to us today. Satan has always found a way to concoct some pagan religious system and put God's name on it. Mm-hmm. And, master at that. Yeah, and that's why this is scary, because it's not glaringly satanic it has christianity on it it has jesus on it mm-hmm. but he's satan has always found a way to, to concoct some pagan religious system and put god's name on it and give people a false sense of security only to be damned to hell and and that ought to concern us that ought to cause us to uh, ask questions um, and to seek to be um Bereans and to search the scriptures and to be faithful stewards of these mysteries because you don't have to go to a road priest and confess your sins. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you partake of the bread and, and, and the, the, the wine or the juice uh, and the Lord's Supper, it is not becoming the literal and physical mm-hmm. uh, bread mm-hmm. and blood of Jesus. Um, John chapter 6 is very clear about that. Actually, I, I want to go there and, and just clear that up for anyone listening. Um, Chris, can you grab that for us real quick? I, I believe it's John 6. John 6. Um, down towards the end of the chapter there, um, where he talks about um, how the disciples left him in verse, I think that's 6, verse 66, ironically, because um, the sayings were hard mm-hmm. and difficult. Is that where he talks about? He does, um, he's, well, that's what he says in uh, verse 66 there. Uh, okay. And he says somewhere in there how the words that I say to you are spirit. How he we are not um, trying to... Verse 63. Okay, go ahead. So he says um, in John 6, 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth, or make alive, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And in this particular chapter, he before that, he gives his whole discourse on being the bread of life. Right, and, and so in the context, they're talking about uh, the bread, communion, the, the, the Lord's Supper, etc. Um, that's one of the reasons why some of the disciples or some of the people listening to him left, because 
what is he saying? We have to eat his flesh right. and drink his blood. They were taking it literal. But yeah. And that's what happens today. Mm-hmm. Now, we do take the word of God literally, lest he tells us. And he does. And he just told us. He did. So today, that's what's happening is those words are being taken literally and believed to be the very blood and, and flesh of, of Christ. Um, really, it amounts to cannibalism is what it is. Wait, you said a word there. Cannibalism. Mm. That's where that, again, has mm. its roots. It, it just, he keeps twisting it. He takes something that wasn't supposed to be a certain way, like the, the Lord's Supper, the, the bre- he's the bread of life, the, and, and he makes it something that, again, stems back to ballism, because that's what they used to do in that religion, too. Again, stemming back, they, the cannib- cannibalism was the thing, and it's that ball thing, and it's in, it's in the word cannibalism. So Yeah. And they did that, yep. Very interesting. Uh, so knowing and uh, understanding uh, this mystery of Babylon, a- and we don't think uh, that just... Listening to this episode, um, everyone's going to walk away and knowing and understanding this mystery. Um, you've got to sit down and, and compare these scriptures and and uh, go into to some of this in greater detail. We just we wanted to give a, a bird's eye view of some of the historical components. And uh, Chris, I'll, I'll um, br- send it back to you in a second. Uh, we we want to have these discussions because this is how God teaches us line upon line precept upon precept here a little there a little and as we are submissive to the word and we compare scripture with scripture and let it and let him be the authority uh, he reveals things to us by his spirit that we find oh well maybe I have to unlearn some things in order to actually learn some things about Mm -hmm. the Bible sure yeah and so Knowing everything that we've just been talking about is a, is a lot of, of information to kind of unload. We only have a short time to do it, historically speaking. Taking all of those components, and you can go back and listen to them and pause the podcast and start to really put the points together. Looking at that snapshot of history, uh, knowing this mystery of Babylon and, and its roots in Genesis and Nimrod and all throughout the pagan religious systems of the world, knowing this uh, information about Jezebel and, and how God, when he's talking to those seven churches in, in Revelation uh, chapter 2 and 3, he makes those points uh, as, as during those times of period uh, in the church to Jezebel and, and talking about those those pagan religious systems. And we're talking about Rome now, and we're talking about this thing of the Roman Catholic Church. And again, we're not attacking people of, of Catholicism or anything like that, but the system is the system. I mean, it is what it is, and it has its roots, historically speaking, in Babylonian pagan religious system. It, it, this is facts, and facts are a stubborn thing. You can't, you, you got to do something with them. So I just kind of want to maybe just give a little historical snapshot again of the start of the Roman Catholic Church and and how we can connect this to the ancient Babylonian religious system. So, again, you you might have to stop and pause this and and think about these things. I just want to give a snapshot. In Revelation, he he, he addresses the Church of Pergamos. Um, And what Pastor Robert was talking about with Jezebel was the Church of Thyatira, which was was after this church, right? It was the one right after this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so prior to the Thyatira, he's talking to the church of Pergamos. And what Pergamos means is mixed marriage. And this represents the time frame of about 325 to 500 A.D. in church history. Now, the Catholic Church was taking pagan Rome and marrying it to a false Christianity. Again, all of which for is uh, shadows back to the pagan uh, Babylonian religion. So this guy by the name of Constantine, you may know him, he basically marries that pagan Rome to a Gnostic perversion of Christianity during this time frame. Now, again, it starts in 325, so there's something very specific that happened in 325 um, A.D. I'll take it back just a little bit to 311 uh, A.D., which... Constantine brings forth this, or this, this edict that's brought forth called the Edict of Tolerance. So basically at this point you had these persecutions under pagan Rome of Christianity. And now at this point they're, they're realizing, well, we, we, can't, we can't get rid of these Christians, so we'll just allow them to be their, be their selves, be Christians. So this Edict of Tolerance allows the quote-unquote Christians to exist. Well, thanks a lot for that. But <laughs> that's what starts the stage for what ends up becoming the Roman Catholic Church. And in 312, Constantine has this vision, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. 
This is where we talk about how Constantine uh, becomes, quote unquote, a Christian. I'm telling you right now, that man was not a Christian. Yeah. Not ever. Listen to what happened here. In, in 312, he has this night vision at the Milvian Bridge where he claimed Christ appeared to him. And he saw this vision of a cross in the sky, which had the words, uh, in this sign, conquer. And so what he ends up doing is having them paint these crosses on their shields and their helmets. They go into battle, they win the battle, and he gives the glory to, oh, you know, this is all God that did this. And, and Constantine has his, quote-unquote, conversion to Christianity, none of which has its roots in actual biblical Christianity, being born again, no mention of the blood of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, none of that. His conversion was through this vision that he saw. Okay, so this is not biblical in any way, shape, or form. He didn't have a real Christian conversion. So this this guy was a Constantine, a Roman emperor. Okay, he has this vision, and now after this edict of tolerance, he's he becomes a quote-unquote Christian. You have in 313 this thing called the Edict of Milan, which effectively establishes Christianity as the state religion of Rome. And then by the time you get to 325, which again is the church period of Pergamus beginning, you have something called the Council of Nicaea, which many may be familiar with. At this council called by Constantine, you had over like 300 uh, you know, bishops and, and clergymen and whatnot come together, and, and they are arguing over what the deity of Christ really is. And so they have to come to some sort of agreement here. And what ends up resulting from this council was the Nicene Creed. Now, you can go back and look at that. what that is. Most people are familiar with what that is. This is what resulted from this particular council. In effect, what it did was everybody came together and unified under a universal church. We, that then becomes called the Catholic Universal Church. That's when it really takes its roots. Sounds it like the Tyra Babel mm-hmm. a little bit. Oh, you'll see. So that that's when basically this Catholic Church begins, if you will. And then once you start to look at, and again, remember, it's pagan Rome marrying itself to a false Christianity. So what's going to happen is these pagan bel- religious Babylonian things are going to filter themselves into it, obviously. I mean, Constantine called himself the Pontificus Maximus, which was a pagan Roman... Roman high priest, and he state he kept that title. He gave it to himself. So this pagan stuff s- filters into this false Christianity and masks itself, like you said, it masquerades itself as Christianity. It's got that title on it, right? And so there's some sim- symbol symbology. Is that a word? I think it's a word. Symbolism. Just symbolism. There you go. Symbolism and practices that happen to come down throughout the Catholic Church. So let's t- talk about this for just a little bit from the rest of our time. We're, we're running short here. I don't want to take too much time in this. But now think about the Catholic Church, what they do, what they believe. There's the hat that the popes wear, that mitre that's worn by the Catholic priests and the cardinals and the pope, that tall yeah. hat. Yeah. Well, that has its roots back in ancient Babylon, Babylonian religion, because they used to worship this god called Dagon, which was a god of agriculture, plenteousness, and good fortune. He was the, the fish god of Dagon. And so the Babylonians wore this headdress that represented the worship of Dagon, depicted an open fish mouth on the head that they would wear, and the rest of the, the body, fish body, was the, the cloak that would run down their back. And when you look at the Catholic popes and, and priests, they're wearing the exact same thing. Right. The exact same thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not even different at all. So you can see how it, it has its roots, again, stemming back. I mean, you got this whole thing of the obelisks in history. The obelisks, those tall obelisks, that mean, the word obelisk means the shaft of Baal. Again, has its roots back into uh, pagan Babylonian worship. Um, it's a phallic symbol of fertility. They're found all throughout history in r- the world's religious systems, all throughout. Egypt definitely is a big one that jumps out. They've got obelisks everywhere. But now think about the Roman Catholic Church. There's one right in the middle yep. of Vatican City. Yep. We've got one right in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. All over the globe. There's one in Paris. There's one in New York City. There's more than one in Rome. They've got them everywhere. Again, that has its roots back to Baalism and, and the sun god and, and pagan worship and Babylon. And then you have this thing in, in the Catholic Church called the, the rosary or the prayer beads. Well, they didn't make that up. That didn't start there. Again, that infiltrated from other religions such as Buddhism, Hinduism, and other pagan religions, and even Islam, they all have their own prayer beads or, or you know, that they have. This, this all stems from back in Babylon. Um, even images of the goddess Diana, picture her with these prayer beads, mm. right? And, and 
what that makes me think about what, what Jesus said in Matthew 6, because with the prayer beads and, and the rosary in Catholicism, it's these repetitious prayers that they have, the prayer of the rosary. Mm-hmm. And Jesus himself even said in Matthew 6 that when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. Yeah, He likens it to the heathen, right? Those pagan religions, because they think that they ha- shall have their be heard for their much speaking. That That's just vain repetitions. So this stuff doesn't have any roots in, in biblical stuff. It's all back to pagan Babylonian stuff. And even the, the doctrine of purgatory that the Catholic Church prescribes to Buddhism, Stoicism, Muslims, they all believed in a place of purification for the souls that they had to go to to attain to heaven. has its roots back into that, that paganistic ba- Babylonian religion from the worship of Molech and Baal. Um, so on and so forth. Back in, in the Bible talks about this God of Molech where they would sacrifice babies and they would burn burn these children in, in the fires of Molech. I mean, for purification rites. And it was this is the practices that they used to do. All this stuff ends up infiltrating itself into what's called the Roman Catholic Church and just in different forms. So you got to be mindful of this stuff. And, and, and I know it's hard stuff. I know it's heavy stuff. And I know it's a lot of stuff. But the list goes on and on and on and on. So just real quick, I'll tie it up with this, and then I'll turn it back over to you, Pastor. There's some comparisons from pagan Rome to papal Rome, because that's what really happened. We went from pagan Rome, married to the church, became papal Rome. Just the same thing, only religious now. Through Constantine. Through Constantine, where it all started. So let's think about uh, pagan Rome, and, 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 and now think about the Catholic Church. The emperor, just in effect, became the pope. The senate became the college of cardinals. The imperial governors became the archbishops. The provincial governors became the, the bishops. The civitas, or the civilians, the people, became the priests. The temple virgins became the nuns. The gods became the saints. And Mary is, like you said earlier, deified and worshipped, just like they would worship Samaramis, who they called the queen of heaven. Mm. You just see it morph into a Christian, if you, if you will, but it, it all has its roots that stem back to Babylon yeah. and those false religious systems that Satan uses all throughout history. Today, it's called the Roman Catholic Church, and that may not be a popular thing to hear, but if you just trace this stuff historically, you will see it. It bears out. It, it bears, bears itself out, out. Big time. Yeah. And and just knowing and understanding this heresy, if we had been faithful to preaching about this mystery of iniquity— uh, that great whore, as the Bible calls it, nobody would be advocating the false doctrine of the mother of all cults, mm. and and quite honestly, her her children, um, and that is the as the mother of harlots. That this mystery Babylon, she is the the mother of the spawn of all the false cults that we see today. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, we are going to end it right there. Um, hopefully, uh, we didn't get too bogged down in those details, um, but if so, uh, we, we had the benefit of um, going back and listening again or reviewing some of these things, and uh, so we encourage you to do that. We will look forward to uh, hanging out with you next time as we uh, once again seek to reveal the scriptures by the grace of God. Thanks for hanging with us, and we look forward to spending some time with you next time. Thank you for listening to The Revealing, a podcast ministry of One Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. Senior Pastor Frank Silvaggio, Associate Pastor Robert Engel. For more information about One Baptist Jacks, please go to our website, onebaptistjacks.world, or email us, info at onebaptistjacks.world.